0: Hello there, my name is Dave Berry and I'm a person who is fascinated by their next-door neighbour. His name is Neil Srinivasan and he is a leading medical expert. Now, whether it's when we're chatting over the garden fence whilst doing a spot of gardening or catching up over a meal together with our lovely partners, I've always been left with more questions about his profession than I've had answers. Plus, both Sarah Jane and Julie say, Can you stop asking this? about medical stuff In the Doctor Next Door I'll be asking Neil the burning questions that keep me up at night, dissecting medical myths under his watchful eye and doing my utmost to learn more about an industry that is quite literally a matter of life and death But this podcast isn't just about me, oh no It's about you guys as well We want Neil to be your Doctor Next Door So get in touch with any questions or stories anytime you like It is Doctor at NextdoorPod.com. That must be the Doctor now. Doctor, welcome back to the Absolute Radio Studios. Oh, it's good to be back. I feel like a star. Uh, now, this is where I do my breakfast show from every weekday morning. And uh, for myriad reasons, from time to time, we record one here. Or instead at my kitchen table or in your house. Yeah. Um, it's nice to have you back. So uh, what I wanted to do first is I wanted to present you with a gift. Oh. I'm going to have to take my headphones off to get this. Okay. One of the things that I've been doing on The Breakfast Show over the past month or so has been a, a deep dive into all things Nicolas Cage. Are you, do you, are you a big fan of the movie star Nicolas yeah. Cage? I know that you're the co- you don't own a TV, but you, know, <laughs> <you're>, <laughs> you must have liked Nicolas I've Cage. I've seen some Cage films. Okay, exactly, yeah. okay so I've I, I got this for you. Oh, good. Now, to so the untrained eye, this just looks like a sparkly throw really? cushion yes. that you would probably want in your house. Hmm. Maybe. Well, yeah, yes. it's maybe. Yeah, it's maybe. But then I go, bam! Oh, wow. I move the sequins up the other way, and it's a Nicolas Cage no.
1: sequined cushion. That is a work of art. You're welcome. I have to say, thank welcome you so back much. I'm so, <laughs> so honoured. Look at it. It's amazing. I just can't, I think we should just stop the episode and I should just play with this.
0: It's, you know, it's actually quite it's nice, incredible. like a stress ball. Yeah. yeah. If you've got a lot going on, just give yeah. Nicolas
1: Cage's face a stroke. That's what I always say. Amazing.
0: Um, the other thing is, uh, every time you've been by here, the two or three episodes of the podcast we've done here, there's always been a star in the building. Yeah, because this building also houses
1: other radio stations. Yeah, I get very excited. Yeah, so we had Craig David. Oh yeah, we had Kimberley Walsh from Girls Aloud. That's right. I, m- I missed Liam Gallagher, but you said I got to sit in this seat.
0: You were sitting in Liam Gallagher's that was seat. Really good. Still are. That's 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 Liam slash Doctor Neil's seat. That's yeah, what it's known exactly. as. Well, there was a bit of a delay in me making you a cup of tea because there was someone in TV Studio 3.2. Oh, who is it? Will Young. No way. <laughs> no way. Yeah. How amazing. You're just a few feet from Will Young today. Oh, on I the think podcast. I'm just going to leave right now. <laughs> hey, there he is. That's not why we hide him, but he brings that as well. <laughs> so I've managed to get Dr. Neil back into the studio. He was clawing at Will Young's door. <laughs> let me out (laughs) and it is time now for the burning question because each episode on the doctor next door I like to bring a burning question to Neil's door Um, now Neil let me set this one up for you I think it's true to say when we were both younger uh, particularly me growing up as a child in, in, in south east London supermarkets looked very different to those today there were no gluten free breads no dairy substitutes uh, and at most the only kind of free from labels are ones focused on uh, free from MSG on top of that to the casual observer it seems like there are more and more people with intolerances and allergies to certain foods and other things as there were say I don't know 20 years ago And with that, there has been a huge rise in the general awareness of the difficulties faced by the thousands, if not millions of people around the world who suffer from various food allergies and intolerances. So my burning question to you today, Doctor, is why are people intolerant to food? So
1: I think it's a great question and I think you're absolutely right. We see more of it. It's... More in our minds, it's certainly more in the supermarkets, isn't it? There's a
0: social responsibility, I think, as well, on behalf of of restaurants and supermarkets alike. Exactly,
1: yeah. Now, a food intolerance is different to a food allergy. So a food allergy is where you have a set immune reaction. So your immune system thinks that when you eat, you know, peanuts, eggs, milk, fish, shellfish, those kind of things, it thinks that this is some form of enemy pathogen in your body and it creates a massive immune reaction the response of that reaction is systemic body effects you might get a swollen throat you might get wheezy it can be life threatening you get rash red all over your body and you sometimes you know need things like adrenaline etc to treat that significant allergy that you have A food intolerance is slightly different. A food intolerance is where you're not actually developing an allergic reaction. Your immune system's not actually creating some huge response to what is seen as an enemy to the body, but that you don't tolerate that food in some way. And the most common symptoms that people experience is abdominal symptoms, so things like diarrhoea, bloating, stomach cramps, difficulty digesting certain things, particularly things like lactose and gluten and those kind of things people have an intolerance to that, which is so They seem to different. be
0: the big two. They, they seem to be the ones that, that we seem to be focused on as, as a planet, affecting yeah. the most amount of people then, I would
1: imagine. Absolutely, yeah. And it, it may be that you're deficient of certain enzymes that are needed to process those kind of foods and therefore they stay in the stomach and become irritating in the stomach and cause you to have diarrhoea or tummy cramps, those kind of things. It may be that you have some degree of sensitivity to some of the foods that, um, you know, your body doesn't break down those foods properly. And there are also, you know, interlinks with that. So things like celiac disease, it has some features of a true allergy because it involves the immune system and your gut does not have certain things that are required to, you know, digest that. So it's a real thing and therefore give you um, some symptoms. So there is a sort of grey area where the two sort of interlink. But they're very different to the sort of life-threatening allergic reactions to if you've ever met somebody with a peanut allergy, for instance, it mm-hmm. can be really serious. I used to live in a flat in university with somebody, and even if you sat next to him with a jar of peanut butter or something, he would start to feel sick. He would be really. Why does it unwell. sound
0: like something that that's what you experimented with? You know,
1: <laughs> you know me too well. <laughs> he was a
0: Liverpool fan. <laughs> <laughs> All in the name of medical research, I'm sure. No, but but it isn't funny. You, no, you know, when it's you, you really get that serious. announcement on an aeroplane where someone here has a peanut allergy, yeah. you know, that don't be, have any peanuts. No, absolutely. It's and a
1: a serious and, and, thing. It can be so serious that, you know, even small particles that they smell in the air yeah. can be life threatening to these people. Yeah. And they might need, you know, adrenaline and they may have, you know, a cardiac arrest from this kind of thing. So it's mm. a serious. Immune reaction that could be and really and just how dangerous.
0: frightening for the person with the allergy that you know, kind of the, the airwaves closing up and everything absolutely. like that. It, it might, just must be a horrifying. It's thing. really
1: horrible, absolutely.
0: Um, basically, any allergies or intolerances that you have as a as a child or a young adult is that you for life. And on the other side of that coin, can you develop allergies and intolerances to certain foods later on in life? So could I get a peanut allergy in five years from now, for example?
1: Absolutely. Really good question. It's really common for children under the age of three to have some kind of allergy. They all get things like eczema, sometimes things like childhood asthma, etc., which they grow out of. That's part of their immune system growing and part of some of the changes that happen. Most common things you'll see in kids are things like milk, eggs, soya, wheat, And they tend to grow out of all of these kind of allergies by the time they start school age. Things like peanut allergies, tree nut allergies, in general, tend to be longer-lasting. So for some reason, whatever those allergic, you know, um, part of the immune system that causes those kind of allergies, they tend to last on through life. And you can also develop certain allergies in adulthood. And when you do develop these allergies later on in adulthood... Um, they tend to be lifelong lasting. We're not clear why they happen, but the rates of food aller- allergies are, are rising sharply over the last 20 years and we see that more and more in the adult population as well.
0: Yeah, so why does it seem that food allergies and intolerances have been rising in, in recent years? Why is, this, why is there the need for so much more labelling on um, you know, supermarket packaging and on menus alike? Why are there
1: specialist restaurants and food and stuff You know, is, is coming really commonplace? We don't really understand that, to be honest. But one thing that's very interesting is that when you look at Western lifestyles, so our Western lifestyles with the foods we eat, with the types of environments that we're surrounded in, pollution, all the other chemicals, the wrapping, the packaging of our food, the way in which our food comes to us. You know, our strawberries are almost frozen and we can eat strawberries year-round. It's not seasonal anymore. It's not necessarily picked straight from the ground. It's sometimes, you know, fertilizer, factory-produced kind of food. We know that the allergies in that group of people, our Western group of people, are much, much higher and intolerance is the same. As opposed to, you know, people who are from a different culture, in more rural or urban areas have or developing countries, we have much lower rates of um, allergies and intolerance in that so there's some environmental factors certainly playing a part there there's also maybe some effect in terms of the immune system itself so we talked about how some of these things are developed by the immune system a hundred years ago you were exposed to very different bugs than you are now this you know children were playing in dirt they didn't wash their hands so much and they were getting different sorts of infections particularly things like parasitic infections etc cetera, etc cetera, worms all those kind of things And there is some thoughts that, therefore, by not being exposed to this, our immune system is tricked to be developing in a different way. And, therefore, that might be in some way contributing to the increase in intolerances and allergies that we've seen over the last 20 years. So what can be
0: done you know what should you do if you think you have a food allergy and you mentioned enzymes there um i wrote that word down and then totally forgot what my follow-up question was going to be either side of it but is is there a way in which you can sh- strengthen for want of a better word your body against these certain things and if you have a peanut allergy there's a way in which you can become immune to that and and, and live a, a what's a normal peanutty life well, <laughs> not
1: hugely and not particularly i think if you have a true allergy where you're getting, you know, a major reaction, the most important thing is to see your doctor get that classified, get that tested, work out what you are allergic to and avoid that allergen if possible. And you may also need something called an EpiPen. You might need to carry an adrenaline pen with you so that if you feel the signs and symptoms occurring, you immediately inject yourself to try and stop that allergic reaction. Now, there are certain bits of research and there are certain clinics where, for example... There may be medications you can give to treat certain types of allergies and certain intolerances. There are also certain dietary measures and things, so you can see a certain dietitian to avoid that. But also, there are some studies, for example, in children where they look to try and improve peanut allergy by exposing them to really, really tiny amounts of the substance, which then gets the immune system used to it and then gradually increase your intake. And trying to train the immune system in a different way but that's not particularly mainstream in terms of how it's treated
0: but there is help that you can get and also it's important to ask the people around you to be sensitive to your needs Absolutely. particularly when it comes to something as serious as, yeah. as, as the peanut on the yeah. airplane example yeah.
1: i mean you have a, you, ha- you should make sure that wherever you eat wherever you go whatever you buy you should check the packaging carefully you inform the restaurant and you just make sure that their people are aware so that you know, you're not putting yourself at risk
0: And yes, here it is once again. My medical training continues. We know you guys out there are loving this section of the podcast and we would like you very much to continue to share your scores with us. Doctor at nextdoorpod.com as we embark on another three questions. Neil, we are all ready. Take it away.
1: So, David, your first question is... The arteries, the important blood vessels that carry blood away from the heart, get their name from a Latin and Greek word, arteria. But what does arteria translate to mean? Mm. Is it A, air holder, B, blood mover, or C, spirit pipe? Arteria. Give me the three options again, please, Neil. So, arteria, the Latin word, what does it translate to mean? Is it A an air holder? B a blood mover? Or C, a spirit pipe? I know so many people out there are gonna do better than me at that first question. I've just. I've just had a guess. It's a tough one. Oh, it's awful. Okay. Question two, best of three again. Where in the body would you find the uvula? U-V-U-L-A. Uvula. Is it A? I thought that was a thing people played at the World Cup in 2014 in South Africa. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a vuvuzela. <laughs> yeah. exactly. Sorry, uh, what's this word again? Uvula. <laughs> okay, uvula, yeah, okay. Is it A in the eye, B in the heart, or C in the throat? Uvula.
0: Okay, this then, is a bad, bad a tough one for me. Exactly.
1: And then question three, your favourite bit, true or false, sometimes gets you out of a pickle. Um, <laughs> You need less sleep as you get older. True or false? Okay.
0: So, there we go. They are our three questions to make up more of our medical training for this week. The answers are coming next. But in the meantime, another podcast from the producers of Doctor Next Door. That I think it's really going to tickle your fancy. Hey, Mark. What is up with your bad self? Well, hey, Simon. What is up with your bad self? Well... As it turns out, lots is up. Like actually what? Like a whole new podcast. They thought we were going away, but we're back. Biggerer and betterer and largerer and more is more -er. And it's going to have reviews of... Big films, small films, weird films, new films and... And television. Kermode and Mayo's Take. Follow now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time Welcome back to The Doctor Next Door. Before that brief intermission, Dr Neil asked me three more questions to make up my medical training. They were aimed at us all, and it's time once again for Neil to reveal the answers. Um, before you do, just to let you know how bad it's gone for me this week, even my own answers that I've written down, as I do, confuse me. I've got A, B, 1, 4, 3,
1: C, <laughs>
0: X... True. <laughs> so uh, let's see if I can cobble that together, it's shall a we? Tough one. What have you got? What have we got?
1: Okay, if you remember the questions, the first question was the arteries. They get their name from the Greek and Latin word arteria. But what does arteria translate to mean? Was it A, air holder, B, blood mover, or C, spirit pipe?
0: Um, I'm not sure if this one was a red herring, but I went straight down the middle and the one that is the most obvious, so I've gone for B, blood mover.
1: Ooh, it was a trick question. Sorry, it's A, air holder. Air holder. Which is very weird. Ancient anatomists thought the arteries were air ducts because they didn't hold any blood. They were dissecting bodies after people have died, and they didn't hold any blood, so they thought that um, these things were just ducts that carry air around the body. So I'm now not doing
0: medical training to become a doctor in the current age, but yeah. I've got to learn the medical training of people from 5,000 years ago. days as well, okay. exactly. Oh, well, that's but good you were know. right
1: in that, yeah, that's, that's what, what they, they are, do, blood right? movers. Absolutely, okay. absolutely. And in fact, it's amazing. There's about uh, 100,000 miles worth of uh, blood vessels in your body. And each one of them is livid with you right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Can I have half a point for that? Yeah, let's give them half a point. Because I've identified what they actually do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. come all right, on, all right. come yeah. on. You're
1: expecting more from the, from your Latin and Greek uh, ancestors. <laughs> exactly. You gave them more credit <laughs> they than let they deserved. Down. Exactly. They My let, us all down.
0: let me down. They let us um, all down. I, they did. Um, and do you know what? It's, it's got to this. I'm just desperate for the point,
1: so I'm I'm willing to beg for a half point, and, I, <laughs> and I've got
0: it, and I'm taking it. I'm taking half point.
1: <laughs> all right. So the second question was, where in the body might you find the uvula? And the options were A, in the eye, B, in the heart, or C, in the throat. OK, I managed to make sense of my answers here. So
0: I, I went for C. I went for in the throat. So.
1: Absolutely. Well done.
0: Oh, you dumped me with the uh, little, I oh, it's you. the wrong face, but it's the right answer. Yeah.
1: Yes, nicely done. Absolutely. It's that dangly pink thing in the back of the throat. And it's uh, a Latin word meaning little grape. And we don't really know why it exists, to be honest. It's that thing you see in cartoons where they sort of oh, scream. Yeah, in like boxing uh, Absolutely, thing, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: okay. So I've got one and a half points yeah, so one and far. and a half. So We're we heading it to the true or false good. final yeah, question. True or false
1: final question. So, it was true or false. You need less sleep as you get older. True or false? True. False. No. Yeah, I thought it was going to be true too. I mean, people do sleep less when they're older, but actually, in actual fact, it's because they have chronic conditions or they're on certain medications, but that doesn't mean necessarily mean they need less sleep. Oh. And the amount of sleep that elderly people take actually varies from person to person. So on average, optimally, you should try and, even in a, older age, you should aim to sleep around seven hours a night if possible.
0: Right, OK, wow. So remember, like my nan wondering why I hadn't gone round to visit her at 4.30am in yeah. the morning because she'd been up for an hour.
1: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Same happened with my grandparents. They used to right, wake yeah. up very, very early. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think that's that's something well, that's that happens with old age, but they actually, it's it's normally related to chronic conditions or okay. something else. But it, it, but as a as a body or as a as a sort of group of people, they don't actually need less sleep. It's just that you know what's happening to them and what's happening to their body at that time.
0: Well, fascinating stuff as always, Doctor Neil. Um, I managed to get one and a half points. So, you know, that's 50% success rate. (laughs) And there'll be more medical training along on the next edition of the podcast. So, as I say, each and every time we have an outing together, the Doctor Next Door isn't just about myself and Dr Neil. We love it when you get in touch and share not only your questions, but also your stories. Plus, of course, we wanted to give you this as a platform to give a... A shout out to use a radio term uh, to anyone from the world of medicine you think deserves a little bit of recognition. Uh, you can email us anytime you like, doctor at nextdoorpod.com, or you can find us on the socials. Give us a little follow, doc nextdoorpod. And here's this week's correspondence. And this week, Neil, we have an email from Stuart. Hello, Stuart. And it reads Hello, Doctor. I'm curious to know. What do you do when you are sick or feeling unwell and need a doctor yourself? Do you end up self-diagnosing as a doctor? Do you wait to go into work and see one of your colleagues or just give them a text from home? Or do you wait by the phone in the morning to ring the local GP as soon as the surgery opens like the rest of us? All the best from Stuart. Well, that's an interesting question, Stuart, Um, and I'd be fascinated to know the answer because, uh, frankly, even though Neil and I are friends, I've never thought to ask that one. How do you deal with it? Do you ring a colleague, an expert in that
1: field, or do you self-diagnose? So so that's a great question. Some of us actually end up becoming quite hypochondriacs about the whole thing because you know lots of things about medicine and then you start having symptoms and you worry about things or you might think, "Mm, I need antibiotics for this, definitely, etc., because I don't feel well. It's actually against sort of our principles to be, A, making self-diagnoses and also to be, you know, diagnosing and treating family members because there's an emotional interaction within that, as you can imagine, which can then draw the physician to making wrong decisions, which are clouded by the wrong things. And in the same way, we shouldn't really be seeking help or support from our friends because, again, there's the same issue. We can, you know, I can coerce my friend to say I need antibiotics or I need these medications when I actually don't. And there's that interplay between the relationship. And so it's very important from a medical perspective, you need to see a doctor to actually see your doctor, to go and see your GP. Um, I turned 40 not so long ago and I decided, you know, it's time to go, and we talked about this, go for a health check. And rather than, even though I'm 28, but yeah, carry yeah. On. <laughs> 28 going yeah, on go, uh, yeah. yeah, go for a health 40, check. Oh, yeah. Got it, yeah, yeah, all us younguns are doing it. Yeah, exactly. carry on, man. So I went for the health check, and and actually I rang my GP, and she said, "Oh, I'm really surprised you just didn't do them yourself." But actually, the right thing to do is to go into a, a medical professional who doesn't know you who can analyze you in a more scientific way and be separated from your emotions. Because I might read my cholesterol and go and think about my family history and go, I definitely need to be on the statin or I definitely need this or I need, you know, surgery or something, right? And it's really important to detach yourself because you'll make the wrong decision. So really what most of us do is try to see our, our GP or try to see our independent, you know, doctors, but there is a temptation, and it's important to resist that—to not want to go and, you know, self-diagnose, or not want to go to your friend or colleague to, to go for prescriptions and things.
0: I imagine. Well, I, I don't. I'm asking—is uh, another side of that the doctor-patient confidentiality? Is there a thing about wanting to talk openly and honestly with someone? about, you know, your medical condition or why your cholesterol's high or whatever it may be because you don't necessarily want to be telling John you've known for 20 years since medical school or Sarah, who you know you're going on holiday with next week. So it'd be, it's nicer to have a to- someone totally impartial who you can open up to and they, and they can chat with you about what's going on and their beliefs on, on why something might be right, something might be wrong.
1: Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, impartiality. And I think that that's really important to have that impartiality... And then to have that discussion, obviously being medically educated, I think you slightly have a sort of different interaction with your GP than, you know, a non-medically educated patient would. You may be able to say, sort of say, okay, I have some knowledge about certain of these aspects, certain things I don't have knowledge about, but the things I do have a knowledge about, I was you know worried about these concepts. You know, I was worried about this blood test or this number what do you think? Do you think that mm-hmm. warrants me starting on some medications? Is that leading the witness, to use a legal term? <laughs> yeah, it can be a degree of that, but yeah. then you want to, you know, interact in that way. But it, it's it's vitally important also, I mean, I have patients who are doctors as well. And and what I try to do actually is one of the other problems you can have is that, for example, I might have a specialist field in heart medicine as well as you know general medicine, etc., I might overassume that the person in front of me, who's an orthopaedic surgeon or something, completely understands the medical terms and everything I'm saying and everything about it, and that's not the case. We don't all. I don't know the ins and outs of, uh, you know, the arteries of the knee and how you do a, a knee operation or how you, you know, take a gallbladder out and do a Whipple's or a liver transplant or something like that. So. It's really important to have that impartiality but also to go down to the way I explain it is I explain it as I would to any patient. Keep it in the layest possible terms so that there's no confusion here about who understands what and who doesn't understand what and then build up from that based on what the person understands. So I keep it really bland in terms of, you know, there are pipes and, you know, there are wires in the heart, those kind of things, and then try and explain it in that way and then build up the story together.
0: Which means it's easier than my medical training. Yeah, I think your medical training has been really
1: (laughs) tough. Yeah. I I blame the rheumatologists. They're all the clever doctors. They've come in with all these difficult questions for you.
0: I hope you've got this out there, ladies and gentlemen. The communique that doctor has on doctor is more simply put than the medical training we are forced to go through
1: every time we do one of these
0: podcasts.
1: Blame those Greeks and Latins.
0: Yeah, says the man who got one and a half points this week. Um, Thank you very much indeed for your correspondence, Stuart. We really do appreciate it. As I say, you guys can get in touch anytime you like. It is Dr at nextdoorpod.com And that is it for this episode of Doctor Next Door. As ever, thank you to my co-host and next-door neighbour, Dr Neil Srinivasan, and we will be back again next time when Dr Neil will again be guiding us through the medical world. I'll have another burning question, and we'll be answering more of your questions as well. Please do rate, review, and subscribe from wherever you usually get your podcasts. Thank you ever so much for listening to this. Now, will you please, please, please get out of my radio studio? (sighs) Thank <sighs>